Joshua chapter, Joshua chapter 11. Hold on because it's a lot, so buckle your seatbelt. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, king of Maiden, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah south of Kinnereth, and in the lowland, and in Naphoth-dor, and the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out and with all their troops, a great horde in numbers like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, for tomorrow, this time, I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel, who struck them and chased them as far as Great Sidon, down to Mizrafoth Maim, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them, and he, and he left none remaining. And Joshua did them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung the horses, burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all the kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. As he burned Hazor with fire and all the cities of those kings and all their kings, Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But none of these cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn, except Hazor alone that Joshua burned. And all the spoils of these cities and the livestock, the people took for their, took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. And they did not lead, leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hill country, and all the Negeb, and the land of Goshen, and the low land, and the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel, and its low land, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, as far as Baal Gad, in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. And he captured all their kings, and struck them, and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle, for it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron and Debir, from Anab, and from the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, only in Gaza and in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And, and the land had rest from war. Thank you, baby. I don't get to kiss the Bible reader much, but let me do that right now. <laughs> I better not kiss the Bible reader much. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, 
I, I saw all those names and words, and I said, baby, you're doing this. Uh, we, uh, as we look at this passage, it's an amazing, a lot of people say, man, y'all, you, you read a lot of scripture. Uh, yeah, we do, and let me tell you something, I don't apologize for that. There's nothing, more, there's no words that'll be more important than the scripture ever in this church, and so uh, that's the word of God, and so we are thankful, uh, and we take it very seriously, so we wanna give it its own time, and man, uh, we're glad to, that you get to hear the word of God, and what we learn from this passage, I think that we, we see, and hopefully you'll understand as, you, as we read that, that uh, why we say the battle is long, but the rest is sweet, okay? Now, we're going to look at some principles for the battle within this passage, some principles for the battle, because this is not just a story that happened, although it is. It is a, a story that points not just to the past, but to the future. We are in battle now. It's a, that really points to the present and to the future. We are in battle now, and the battle's more intense. The battle is raging and the battle is hard, but the rest, I promise, will be sweet. So let's look at some, at some uh, uh, principles that we see for the battle that we need to take uh, with us in order to uh, go into this battle really well. One, you gotta know your enemy, okay? Know your enemy. That's what we see here. Now, now uh, when you think about it, all the other kings in the land, they should have watched what was going on, how this five king alliance was just annihilated, how Jericho was just burned to the ground, how Ai was burned to the ground. They should have just said, man, it's, I mean, it's time to throw in the towel. Uh, man, we, we got to raise the white flag. This is over. But that's not what they did, right? They uh, determined under uh, Jabin, king of Hazor, he said, I'm gonna put a bigger alliance together. That's the answer. We'll just put an alliance together that they can't overwhelm. We'll outnumber them. We'll outman them. We'll outarmor uh, them. We, we'll, we'll, we'll take them with sheer force and numbers. So they put a bigger alliance together to come against Israel and stop Israel. Now, all these kings were typically enemies, but the enemy of your enemy is your friend, right? And so they put their differences aside to come against Israel, all right? And against Joshua and ultimately really against God. Now, Joshua could have given us, uh, to be quite honest, he could have given us a general account. Well, this was just a lot, man, a lot. They put a big army together to come against us, right? Uh, I, I mean, he could have given us a general account, but he spills a lot of ink to tell us the detail of what's going on. Right Now the Bible sometimes, the Bible covers a lot of history. Sometimes the Bible gives us a general uh, account. Sometimes it gives us great detail. When the Bible gives you detail about something, hone in and find out why it's giving you detail. Here, I think Joshua's given us great detail because he knows his enemy and, and we know that Joshua knows his enemy. He didn't, he didn't just say a, a large number. Of, here's what he said, he, he names names. He names us historically the kings. He says, these are the names of the kings. These are the people groups that are mounting together to come against the Lord, that are coming to, that are coming against Israel, right? And he says, they're a horde of people. When you name all these kings, the people groups that they represent, it was a horde of people, he says, as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Well, basically, uh, that means that they were innumerable to, to Joshua. It's like he looks at them, Bro, there's no sense in counting them. I don't know how many we're going against. It's like the sand on the seashore. You ever been to the beach and picked up a, a hand of sand full of sand? I mean, you've got thousands of grains of sand. So imagine the sands on the seashore. He's looking out and going, wow. I mean, I, no, no sense in even trying to count them. I, I don't even know how many there are, right? And so he not only says that, that they were innumerable, he says that they got chariots and they've got horses. I, I, I mean, you know, and so Josephus, who was a, a, a historian, a secular historian of the day, contemporary of our biblical writers, he says, he, he calculates that they had over 300,000 men in their army and over 20,000 chariots. And so Joshua's point here in giving us this detail is that he knows his enemy and his point is, it's overwhelming. I mean, when you look at it, it's overwhelming. Uh, he, he looks out, it's hopeless. This is like David and Goliath before there was a David or a Goliath. That, that hasn't happened yet. David's not around yet, right? So this is, this is David and Goliath before David and Goliath. This is Ukraine versus Russia. I mean, it's hopeless. Not one person would blame Israel if Israel looked at this mountain of men armed with, with chariots and horses. Not one person would blame Israel if they threw in the towel. Not one person would blame them if they folded, right? 
I mean, because listen, folding's okay. I mean, in the famous, in the words of the famous theologian, Kenny Rogers, you gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them, right? And so, man, right now might be the time to fold them, right? But they didn't fold. Why did they not fold? Because they had an ace up their sleeve. What was that ace? Well, that ace up their sleeve was the fact that they knew this wasn't their battle, this was God's battle. This was, this was God's battle. It wasn't their battle. Uh, they had been following God. He had been fighting for them. This was God's battle. And here's the application for us today. This is what I want you to go out of here with. You gotta know your enemy. Here, here's what I know, man. My, my mom and is like every mom in here. From not the day you were born, but from the day that your mother found out she was pregnant with you, that, that she had conceived you in her womb, your mother has been identifying the enemies and the threats that's gonna come against you all your life. That's what moms do. Moms spend their life. And it doesn't matter when the kids get married and and moves out, moves across the country or goes in the military. Moms are still identifying the threats. That's what moms do and they do it well. Whether it's the playground bully or whether it's the cyber bully of pornography uh, or whatever, moms spend their lives identifying threats against their kids and praying for those threats and, and, and trying, pr- praying for those threats to be taken out. And that's what moms do. Thank you, moms, for doing that. Here's what we need to do in our spiritual lives, folks. Uh, we're in battle, okay? That was a real story, but it also points to the real story we're living in now. We are in an intense battle against fierce enemies, all right? And we gotta know our enemy. We have to know our enemy. And when we look out, we say, okay, man, what is our enemy? Man, we, we, could, we could talk forever. I couldn't name all, but, but think of what's going on in our world. I mean, just think of the threats that come against the people of God today. The breakdown of the family. The breakdown of the family. We, we know that scripturally, marriage is huge to God. God created man, he created woman, and he performed the first marriage ceremony in the Garden of Eden. It's a covenant, it's important to God. And, and, and today, man, the value of that vow, today that covenant is just being demeaned and devalued. People enter into marriage so lightly and people jump out so quickly. And, I mean, the breakdown of the family, for the first time, get this, more kids are born to parents, to single parents, than to uh, parents, families with both parents there. Is that not just blow your mind? I mean, the breakdown of the American family and uh, the family around our world, to be honest, but the breakdown of the family, it's a huge threat. It's a huge threat in this war that's being waged. Busyness. Business is a huge threat. You know, I believe that uh, uh, Americans, you know, in our, with, with in our prosperity, how God has blessed the country with our prosperity, but the enemy says, you know what, in their prosperity, here's what I can do. I'll, I, man, I'll make them very busy. And if I can get them busy about things that, are, that, are, that they think is important, it'll take their mind, it'll distract them from what's really important, right? I mean, the greatest thing, here, here's what I can tell you, that, that, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you know. And if you're not, I think it will hopefully even make sense logically to you. But 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, because here's what I know. I, I, I've been a dad for a while. I've been a husband for a while. And early, you know, in your ministry, you begin to think about all those things, th- those things that you're pursuing, your career. You know, you got, you got to make enough money to support your family. Man, you, you, you've got to, you know, you, you, you've got to be professionally successful. All these things, right? And your definition of success, your scorecard, you've got a scorecard. But here's what I want you to understand. There's going to come a time in your life when all of that stuff, Man, you can have a great house, you can have a great bank account, you can have a great position, you might be successful, but if your family and, and, and the relationship with the Lord is not there, your kids are not running hard after the Lord, man, your family, none of that stuff matters. That's the most important thing in your life. And so here's what the, the threat is. The threat is that you'll get so busy with kids' sports, with your work, Man, with all your hobbies and with all your activities, everything you say yes to. And and you don't say yes to bad things, right? But you say yes to so many things and your kids are involved in so many things and you're involved in so many things that before long what starts happening is, is man, people are at church just ever so often because like, man, I I gotta do this this weekend, I gotta do that this weekend. Man, I didn't get, I'm tired. And, And before long, man, things start to fall and Busyness, it's a huge threat to the most important thing in your life. And all those things, I've got five kids, folks. I mean, sports and uh, all these things have been a huge part of our life. But here's what you've gotta do. You've gotta let those things revolve around Jesus and the church and not just let the church be one of those things that's revolving around your life. That has to be centered. 
Busyness will take you out. Busyness, the breakdown of the family. Man, I, I mean, we look at, at this whole, listen, the cultural wars. Man, gender, sexuality, uh, all of these issues that are pressing down hard on our families. Our kids are being so confused. Parents, I know it's coming at warp, warp speed. And, and here's what we wanna do as a church. We wanna help you as, as, as a church to understand how you, you need to prepare your kids. I mean, I know that a lot of parents are like, man, I wanna protect my kids. I wanna protect my kids. I wanna protect my kids. I, 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 man, I don't know if, if I, I wanna talk about these things. Here's the thing. We, we need to protect our kids. We need to prepare our kids. And here's what you need to understand. When your kid, if your kids are in preschool, if your kids are in daycare somewhere, then they know they've got a friend in daycare that's got two mommies. They've got a friend in preschool that's got two daddies, okay? If they watch, if they watch TV, if they watch Disney, if they watch anything, if they come in in the TV zone, every program, the agenda of every program is to have so many uh, trans or gay couples on there. They come in and, and they're gonna see a, a two men kissing. They're gonna see two women kissing. And when they're seeing that, it begins to normalize in their mind if we don't prepare them rather than just protect them. We wanna say, we can't watch any of this stuff. And I agree, parents, you need to understand and, and, and protect your kids at their levels, but they're going to see it. So you need to begin to prepare them, right? Prepare them. And how do we prepare them? Because here's what's gonna come. It's gonna come because see, we live in this emotionally charged world where, where, where there's division everywhere. And, and as soon as we begin to say stuff, and as parents, as a church, as a pastor, as soon as we begin to align ourselves with a position, all of a sudden, man, it becomes like, oh man, it's polarized, right? It's polarized because, I mean, man, we got this polarization going on with po political polarization. You begin to align yourself, see, you're aligned with this. No, 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 let me, let me, let me say this, man, I, and, and, man, I can clean a spot off and preach, so I'm gonna try not to. You know, I, that's, I think that's what I did in the first service, and we went out, and somebody said, hey, you just need to stay backstage because it's that time for the second service. I said, I know, I'm sorry, Travis sung so long today. But, but listen, you know, we live in this world where everything we say, and it's, it's just polarizing, right? But I mean, I line with this, and I line with, oh, you're lining with this politics. No, 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 let, throw that out the window. Let, let me help you to understand something. Here's what we align with at LifePoint Church, just so you understand. Don't ever be confused. We align with biblical issues, okay? We align with biblical issues. And all of these things, all of these things that have become political, and they are political now, but they were biblical issues much longer, a long time before they were political issues. Let, let me take, for, exa for example, uh, abortion. Praise God, man, we're about to see Roe v. Wade overturned, right? <laughs> Praise God. Is that not awesome? Man, I, I see that, and, and, and I, I love that. And I, I remember talking to so many people, and they're like, man, I don't know why you still fight that. I don't know why you still say it, man. I mean, that battle was fought long ago. I'll never stop fighting for what the Bible says. I don't care how lost it looks, right? Don't ever stop fighting for what the Bible says. I mean, man, you look at this, and, and let, me, let me tell you what's shaping your mind right now. Because if you get on Facebook, if you get on social media, and, and man, I hope you don't spend a whole lot of time there. I don't. I go there to post for the church and stuff. But, you know, when I go there, I'm like, let me see what's going on. I see, I see human interest stories, right? And let me tell you the threats and, and, uh, on this. I can use this for an example of a threat. Man, I was looking through there the other day and, uh, and, and someone had posted, uh, uh, someone who I, I know is a Christian, don't go to church at this church, uh, but she had posted like, uh, really fighting against this whole, man, I don't hope they don't make abortion. It's crazy because, you know, if, if abortion becomes illegal, only legal abortions will not be had, right? And so I, I'm like, Huh? But anyway, they, they, well, that's a good thing. I mean, that's a great thing, right? If, if you stop some, but, but there was a human interest story that tugged the heart. Oh, here's why it needs to happen because there was this 11-year-old girl and it's a horrible story. This 11-year-old girl, she got raped by a family member and she became pregnant. And if she would not have been able uh, to have an abortion, imagine. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians began to go, oh, it makes sense. Uh, tug my heart. It makes sense. I don't know what I'd do with that. Sounds right. There's a word come to your mind about, you know, swayed to and fro from every wind of doctrine that comes. And you begin to think about that. And then, you know, I thought, number one, you don't even know if that's a real story, number, number one. Even if it is, I could go about three levels later and add some things to it about how, well, a girl actually ended up having a baby under a doctor's care and the baby come out and was this and the baby became Billy Graham or something, right? And you're like, oh, wow, I, 
It makes sense. We, we shouldn't. I mean, here, here's the thing. You're going to hear the arguments are always, oh, man, the, the human interest stories on both sides. And let me make sure you understand. I hate that some of those stories, if they're real, like that story, horrible. I hate it. But those stories don't interest me when it comes to this topic. I could care less about those stories when it comes to this topic. What do I care about? What the Bible says. When the Bible says something, it doesn't matter if you try to emotionally charge me and pull me into that or not. Folks, this is a biblical issue, not political. It has become political. It is a biblical issue. It's threatening your families. It's threatening our kids. And we have got to to stand and fight and know what our enemies are. It's the same with gender. It's the same with, 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 you know, I mean, when your kids see uh, 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 two mommies come to pick up in daycare, that's a reality. We know it's there. When they come in and see two dudes kissing on TV or a girl on TV or a guy, uh, all of a sudden, man, if, you're watch, if you watch any shows today, all of a sudden you begin, man, I gotta add some trans couples, I gotta add some gay people, trans people. And all of a sudden people that's been straight and married on these shows for years, they get divorced and realize, I think I'm gay. Right? I and mean, it's like, they gotta work them in. And your kids, when they see this, what does it do? It normalizes the behavior. And so when they come and Pastor Pat says, this is wrong, they go, oh, why is he so mean? Or when, or why is he so mean? It's like, and, and so Christians and churches begin to go, I, I don't know if I want to speak to these issues because I, I think I believe this, but I might get canceled. People might think I'm mean. I might get canceled. And so we begin to sacrifice biblical integrity on the altar of acceptance in the culture. And, and our kids are confused because they see two, two moms or two dads picking up their kid, two guys kissing. This guy's a girl. He was a girl last year. Now he's wanting me to be calling him something else. And my, kid, my, my, my parents or my teacher's telling me I have to call this guy, this, this girl's name now. I don't know what to do. Listen, you gotta protect your kid, but you better prepare your kid. We've got to prepare a kid. And the Bible, and, and, and man, listen, we can go on and on and on about the human interest stories on that. Forget the human interest stories that pull your heartstring. Here's the only thing that matters. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's it. That settles it. See, all these enemies, and let me make sure, man, we could go on. We could go on about pornography. We could go on about expressive individualism. Man, I've got all kind written down here, but I got off on that. And so we're gonna go on. Listen, biblical illiteracy, huge threat. Biblical illiteracy. Get this, 82% of people surveyed believe the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. 82%. See, it's exactly not what the Bible says. It's opposite. The Bible says God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's what the Bible says. 50% of graduating seniors uh, nationwide believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. I mean, a huge, uh, I mean, a huge number of people surveyed believe that Joan of Arc is Noah's wife. Biblical illiteracy. Is it any wonder why that when I see two guys or two girls kissing, or and I, I'm like, well, it, it, it does sound mean if I don't let them be whatever they want to be. I, I, I mean, it does sound mean, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't know. It sounds like I'm, am I just being? But no, here I know the Bible. So here's what I know the Bible says. The Bible says that I'll never agree with you on that issue. The Bible says I will stand with the Bible, but I will do it graciously. That's what the Bible says. I will do it with love. I will speak. I'm not going to be a jerk for Jesus either. The Bible says don't be a jerk for Jesus. It doesn't really say that, folks. But it really does, but it doesn't. You know what I mean? I mean, don't be a jerk for Jesus. But speak truth and show compassion. Know your enemy. If you don't know your enemy, and all these things, these are not your enemy, by the way. None of these things are your enemy. They're strategies and tactics of the enemy. The enemy is Satan, the devil, your adversary, the roaming like a lion, looking for someone to take out and devour. He's looking to eat your throat out, folks, and the throat of your family. And he's gonna use all these things to do it. The enemy of, the greatest enemy of the Israelites was not the Canaanites. It was, it was sin and it was death. The greatest enemy today of the Christians and churches is not the LGBTQ community. The greatest issue is not the cultural wars. The greatest issue is not the cancel culture. The greatest issue is the same. It's sin and death, and Jesus destroyed it on the cross with his death and resurrection. That's the greatest. Know your enemy, folks. Know your enemy. Secondly, 
That was a long one. Thank God. I hope the rest of them, you know, will, will not be that long. Uh, secondly, trust God's sovereignty. Look at what it says in Joshua eleven twenty. Uh, Amy read this eleven twenty. Now I asked long ago, why in the world would those kings? They're seeing Israel wallop every every enemy in the land. They're seeing man. They're seeing just God just take out. I mean, major warriors. It's time to throw up the flag. Nope, we're gonna take them. Why? Why would they do that? They're not smart. This tells us why. For it was the Lord's doing. It was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Moses. I mean, man, you're having a quiet time you read that verse. You gotta go, put that thing in reverse, pull over, set up camp a minute. What? What did that say? It was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts so that they would come. You mean to tell me that God ordained that they could? That's what it says. It says the same thing about Pharaoh, by the way, right? God hardened his heart. Listen, here's what we can say. When we look at this, man, even though it looked overwhelming, God was in control. That's what, that's what Josh is telling us. God was in control. It looked overwhelming, but the enemy didn't sneak upon Israel. The enemy wasn't sneaking upon God. God didn't all of a sudden look at the Jebusites and go, what in the world did they come from? And call in a bunch of angels and say, hey, you angels, you're supposed to be watching my flank. You let the Jebusites flank me. What are you doing? That wasn't what's going on. God's not surprised. They didn't sneak up on God. Matter of fact, they were only doing what God ordained them to do. God hardened their hearts. Why wouldn't they give up? Why wouldn't they give up when, when Israel was just walloping, mopping the mountains, the deserts with, with all their, why wouldn't they just give up? Why? Because God hardened their hearts to come against Israel that his will may be accomplished. Folks, you're looking at this world today and I'm gonna tell you, man, it, it's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to look, for me, I've got grandkids. It's easy for me to look at my grandkids my, 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 my three, uh, I've got three small grandkids and it's easy for me to look at those grandkids and say, I, I'm really concerned about their future. It's easy for me to look at my, I've got, you know, two sets because of our adoptions. Uh, I've got, you know, a 14, 15 and 16 year old at home. And it's easy for me to say, I don't know how they're ever going to be able to buy a house. Right? I mean, it's easy for me to look and say, I, I don't, I'm not even concerned about them buying a house. I'm concerned about the moral fabric of the world that's around them. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's easy for me to look and be overwhelmed just like you because the world is changing so fast. But here's what Joshua teaches. Easy to be overwhelmed unless you know one thing. What's that ace up our sleeve? God's in control. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That's why God could, that's why God could tell Joshua, hey, Joshua, don't be a dismay. Don't be afraid. Don't look out and be overwhelmed. Why? Because I'm in control. I'm giving them into your hands. You're going to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. Now, hamstringing their horses is basically cutting the tendon on the back of the hind leg of the horse, which makes it useless for battle. Burning their chariots, man, that was huge because a chariot was a major tactical advantage. Israel didn't have chariots. Man, they were like sitting ducks. You're coming in chariots and Israel's just out roaming around. I mean, they're sitting ducks. God says, I'm going to take care. You, they look like they got the advantage, but you got me. You're gonna take care of all it. Don't worry, God's in control. You say, well, why did, he, why did they hamstring the horses and burn the chariots? Why not just give them to Israel? Wouldn't that be, that'd be how Hollywood would ride it. Somehow they flipped and they sent this secret ops team and they stole the horses and the chariots and that was how they won the war. No, because that's exactly what would happen. That's how they won the war. God, didn't want them, God, God, God wanted to get all the credit, not them. All the credit goes to God. He didn't want them to trust in any human measures. And so here's what he says. He, he, here's what he says. Uh, remember, he said that uh, uh, in Psalm 27, here, here's what it says, the psalmist. This will make sense now. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Well, that, that, that word makes a little more sense now, doesn't it? Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we trust. He didn't want them to trust in horses and chariots. Listen, folks, moms, I don't know where your kids are right now. Some of your kids are living in rebellion. And man, you're praying for your kid. God's sovereign. God's sovereign. Trust God. God's sovereign. 
God's sovereign. Trust him. Right? Some of your marriage is in trouble. God's sovereign. He can save your marriage. He's sovereign. Man, your finances, your job, God is sovereign. This war, I don't know what's gonna happen with my grandkids. I don't, but I know my God. I know my God, and I know my job is to teach my grandkids and my grandkids the gospel, and if they give their life to Jesus, they'll follow him. He's sovereign. He's their God. Listen, he, no matter what they face, my God's bigger. Trust the sovereignty of God. That's what, that's what uh, the, the Israelites trusted, the sovereignty of God. Uh, second, or third, is uh, fight the fight. Folks, we've got to fight the fight. Moms, thank you for fighting the fight. Moms, you are fighting the fight. You have been fighting the fight. You, we got to fight the fight. The coalition here that was gathered against Israel, they probably wanted to fight Israel down in the plains because down in the plains they could maneuver their chariots, right? I mean, they could annihilate Israel. They could just ride them in the plains and just annihilate Israel. Uh, and so that was a major tactical advantage, but that's not what Joshua did. Joshua didn't sit back. Here, here's what I want you to know. Joshua attacked he attacked first. He surprised them. And then rather than going down in the plains, he forced them up into the mountains. And in the mountains, you can't operate chariots in the mountains. Right? You can't. So what did he do? I mean, he attacked. He wasn't passive. He attacked because God had said, don't worry. He attacked. And, he, and, and they, they went up into the mountains. He hamstrung their horses. He burned their chariots to the ground, took away their tactical advantage. I, I mean, and, and, and the rest is history. Right? We know that. What's that teach us? We cannot be passive. We can't be passive and sit back. We can't be passive and sit back and say, oh, I just want to cocoon myself. I just want to go in my house. And, and I really don't want to teach my kids these things early. I don't want to have these conversations with my kids. I want to protect them. We can't sit back and be passive. We've got to prepare them. We, we can't be passive, folks. We, we, we've got to fight the fight. Right? I mean, if, we, if we're passive, here's what's going to happen. The enemy's going to get a foothold, a stronghold. He's going to get a beachhead. And you know what happens when an enemy gets a beachhead? He uses that beachhead to launch other attacks. And that Joshua knew that. And we've got to know that if we are passive and we set back, the enemy's going to get a beachhead in your life. And he will begin to launch other attacks into your life from that beachhead. You've got to be in the fight. You've got to fight the fight. Right? I mean, we must fight, but folks, we must remember in this fight because some of us are like, I don't know. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And so therefore, we must not fight with physical weapons. We must not fight with physical weapons. We must fight with the spiritual weapons and the spiritual armor. That's how we fight. So let me, let me put that really in contemporary language of today. Let me tell you what weapons we don't use in this battle. That's useless. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. That's what we want to do. And I mean, man, I'm going to show them. I'm going to get on Facebook and I'm, you know, hit that thing and it goes out there. And I mean, man, you're making statements about groups that you disagree with and you're making these statements and I'm going to send this out and bam. And that's going, boy, I'm going to tell you, when people see this, that'll change their mind. You're foolish. Yeah, it doesn't change people's mind. They just change their mind about you, right? Nobody's going to win a war on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Nobody's going to win a war Twittering and Facebooking and all this stuff changing people's mind. You're changing nobody's mind. That's not the bad. That's not where you fight this battle. Stop doing that, Christians, to be quite honest. Stop making posts on Facebook and Instagram and sharing all this stuff that 90% is not true. Right? Stop doing that. I mean, man, I, I, I rarely post in, 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 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but when I do, it's family or church stuff. And I, I would challenge you to make sure, is nine out of 10 things you post like positive? Is it like, man, I love my wife, or I love my kids, or I love my Lord, or I love my church? Is it positive? Or look at what my kids, man, I, I love seeing your kids, man, when they're scoring their first goal. And all. I love that stuff. What I hate is, man, all the stuff that's like, let me, let me, I mean, I'm gonna post this either side. It's, it's, it's just like ridiculous. Don't do that. That's not the weapons you use. What weapons do you use? We're smarter than that here. I know life pointers don't do that because you're much smarter. We've got a better IQ than that here. You, you don't do that. What do you do? You get on your knees. You use spiritual weapons. What are those? It's the Bible, the word of God. That's what it is. The word of God. 
prayer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what begins to change hearts, not your Facebook post. It's the gospel, it's the church. And so fight the fight, folks, don't be passive. And here's the fourth thing, obey God's commands. Have you noticed that every week almost that's a point in the sermon? Because that's in every message. It's so important. Look at what he said in Joshua eleven fifteen. He says, just as the Lord commanded Moses and his, ser- his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua and Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. This is a point every week. Obey the commands because it's all over the book of Joshua. Why were they successful? Why did they take the land? Such a few ragtag soldiers who were nomads, not warriors, and, and, and going against chariots and horses and people with swords. And when, when they were, had nomads and, you know, wanderers and, I mean, they had nothing. That, why, how, how did they win? Because they knew one thing. They knew their God was in control and then they knew partial obedience is disobedience. I'm gonna do everything that God tells me to do. God told Moses, Moses told Joshua, Joshua told the people, and they did it. That's why they were successful. That's why they were, I mean, man, it it was, and get this, it didn't make a bit of sense most of the time, just so you know. Hey, I want you guys to step into the middle of the raging river. (laughs) Really, what do you want us to do? Step into the middle of the raging river. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I want you guys to uh, uh, go. I want you, now you're across the river and everybody's afraid of you. I want you to take time and don't advance right now, but I want every male to be circumcised. Be out of commission for a few days. That doesn't make sense. I mean, the back, do it. They did it. I want you to march. You want us, God, you want us to what? You want us to march around the walls and blow trumpets and shout? That sounds like a football game with a marching band. That doesn't sound like a, a, you know, a, a, a strategy for war. March around the walls, blow the trumpet. When I say blow the trumpet, shout when I say shout, they did it. Now I want you to pause and I want you to walk 20 miles for a worship service. March 20 miles to go to work. Why can't we just worship here? Because I want you to march 20 miles to go to a worship service. They did it. Man, I, I want you to go against these fierce warriors. Well, we can't go, go, they did it. Listen, they did everything God, and it seemed insane and even reckless sometimes. Did you know that? It seemed completely reckless to do what God told them to do. But they did it, why? Because they knew a secret, and here's the secret. Partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. God tells them what to do because he's sovereign. He owns it all. He controls it all. And when, that, when, when the one who owns it all, created it all, controls it all, when he tells us what to do, it's for a reason. He knows how it operates best. And so they did it. So when God tells you to do stuff, and listen, most of the things God tells you to do in Scripture are insane. They're reckless and they're crazy. They're or the one of the three, right? I mean, God tells you to do this with your money. What? That's insane, just, they do, just do it, right? God tells us sexuality. He gives us ethics of sexuality, ethics of money. God tells you to forgive the one who wronged you. Uh, that's insane. They wronged me. They wronged me. That's insane. I'll never forgive them. Yeah, and they forgot about it, and they're living their life and having a good time, and you're still dragging around and chained by it. You see, when God tells us to do something, he doesn't tell us to do it because, oh, I'm playing with them and I wanna kill their fun. He's telling them to do it because he created life. He designed life. He created marriage. He designed marriage. He created sex. It's beautiful. He designed it. He created relationships. He designed them. He created everything in existence. He designed it. He's in control of it. He's in control of every atom and every molecule. And that God tells you to do something, it's in your best interest to do it. He's doing it because I know how it works. And if you'll do it this way, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. They knew that partial obedience was disobedience. Second, or last, finally, last, rest in the land. Folks, this world is getting crazy, right? We've talked about it, you know it. It's crazier by the minute. We now realize, I think, finally, we now realize 
that the great day of favor for Christians is over in America. You see, America had this great day of favor for a lot of years. Christians in America, that's over. We know that now, right? That's over. I mean, that happened on you know, my watch, on our watch. That great day of favor is over. But this shouldn't surprise us. Go back and listen to the Revelation series if you haven't listened to it. The enemy has lost the war. He lost the war. Remember what the, 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 the enemy is, Satan. And remember, our greatest enemy is death and sin. And Jesus annihilated it with his death and resurrection. The war is over. It's been won. But the battle still rages. The battle still rages. And here's what the enemy knows. And it will rage until when Jesus returns according to uh, the Revelation. Go, go back and listen to the Revelation. The battle still rages and it will until Jesus returns. And here's what we know. The enemy knows that time is ticking off the clock. It's short. He has a short amount of time. And man, he is making every push he can. And it's getting more intense. And it's going to confuse your minds. And it's, he's getting, it's getting more and more intense. That's what's happening in this battle. It, it, it's crazy. And it's, it's not going to get better. Listen, it's not going to get better. The, we, we tend to think that Israel taking the promised land was pretty quick because it's only a few chapters, but it wasn't quick. It took at least seven years they were in battle. They were in fierce battle for seven years, and they weren't in battle against, you know, uh, Grandpa Joe and Willy Wonka's chocolate factory here. I mean, we're not talking about people that just lay down. They were battling fierce warriors. Matter of fact, they were battling the Anakim, not Anakin Skywalker. They were battling the Anakim. Who are the Anakim? Well, if you remember back in Kadesh Barnea, Moses sent some spies in to spy out the land. And when he sent them in, those spies came back and 10 of those spies we can't take them. They're too big. They're too big. I mean, Caleb and Joshua is like, what do you mean we can't take them? Yeah, they're big. God's bigger. Well, 10 of those spies died. They're not there now. Joshua is. The Anakim. Isn't it funny that the last battle that they take, the last fight, the final conquest, isn't it just awesome that these were fierce warriors and God said, listen, they come in and they fought fierce warriors and the battle was long and the battle raged for years and they were away from their families, the soldiers, and they were fighting hard and it was dragging on, but the rest was sweet. What rest? That's what it says. He brought them rest. They burned a lot of the cities. Remember, they burned, they burned Jericho. They burned Ai. They burned, but he says here, Verse 15, they did not burn the cities on the hill. That fulfilled what God told Moses in Deuteronomy 6, I think, in Deuteronomy where he said, uh, when I give you the land, you're gonna, you're gonna enter into cities that you didn't build and you're gonna have houses full of stuff that you didn't fill and you're going to drink from cisterns that you didn't dig and you're going to eat from vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. In other words, I know the battle's gonna be long, but the reward is going to be sweet. And I will give you rest and you will enjoy the, the labor, the, the reward of your labors. You'll enjoy them. Awesome story, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? The battle is long, but the rest is sweet. You know, this is not just about what happened in that day. This is a slice of history. It literally happened. The history books, it literally happened. But the, and the Bible tells it accurately. But the Bible is not just a history book. You see, it's a, a bit of history, but it also points to the future. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter uh, four, verses eight and nine, it says this. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there, then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He, he, here's what we know. This whole story we've been looking at at Joshua, the battle, the, the, the taking the promised land. Man, God keeps his promise. This whole story is a slice of history. It is historically accurate. Uh, uh, historians have written about it, not just the Bible. The Bible tells it completely accurate. It is history, but it's not just history. You see, it's a type. It points 
It's a foreshadow. This whole thing points to the future, the future we're living in now, and then the future better Joshua, you know, who, who, who brought us out. And, and, and here's what it points to. It points to the fact that as, as, as Israel had to fight to take the promised land, Christian, we live in a world full of enemies that's coming against God, and you're going to have to fight. I mean, this is not just some tame deal, give your life to Jesus, sit back and watch your money roll in. I mean, that's junk. This is a real deal. We have a battle and a fight, and the fight's real, and the battle is long, and it's against fierce warriors. We've mentioned them, but make no mistake about it. That battle's gonna last. It's gonna outlive many of us. It's gonna last until Jesus returns. Now, Jesus could return today. It's gonna last until he returns. But here's what happens. When he returns, he's the greater Joshua. And when he returns, he's gonna take all those who've been fighting, who've been struggling, who've been obedient, all those who've been fighting, and you're gonna enter into your rest. And for all of eternity, there's not gonna be any death. There's not gonna be any war. There's not gonna be any sin, no disease, no crying no backstabbing, no divorce. You're gonna enter into your rest and you're gonna live in houses that you did not build and you're gonna uh, live in the holy city that you did not build and houses that you did not fill. You're gonna drink uh, from cisterns that you did not dig and, and you're gonna eat from vineyards and, 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 and olive trees that you did not plant. You're gonna enter into your rest. Who's that for? Is it for everybody? Nope. You have to enter the fight to enter the rest. You have to enter the fight to enter the rest. Some of you Christians, you, 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 you've been in a fight, but you're on the bench. Get off the bench and get in a fight. Get off the bench and get in a fight. You want to be like Paul. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You want to be like Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. Are you fighting the good fight, Christian? If you're not a Christian, the only way for you to enter the rest is to enter the fight. Today, you need to understand that all that's going on in the world, man, if you're waiting for something to fix it, it's not gonna happen. Only God can fix it. Your, your, your answer is Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross uh, in, in, for your sin, not his own, because he had none, come back on the third day to defeat sin, death, and hell. Those who believe in him, those who believe in him, enter the fight. That's a good way to share the gospel, isn't it? I mean, hey, man, give your life to Jesus today and he'll give you peace. Give your life to Jesus today and he'll give you fulfillment. Give your life to Jesus today and sit back, man, you'll just be happy. That's a great way to present the gospel. Hey, give your life to Jesus today and man, you enter the fight. It's the truth. You enter the fight, the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Those of you who don't know Jesus, will you enter the fight today. Will you give your soul to Jesus Christ? Listen, here's what I want you to ha I want to do. Uh, if, if you are a mama in here and your child does not know Jesus, I want you to share the gospel with your child today. At whatever age and what, whatever appropriate way it is, there's appropriate age levels, right? And at what, share the gospel with your child today. On Mother's Day, that's what you want for your child more than anything else if you're a believer. Hey, if you're a child and you might be a 50-year-old, you know, have a mama and your mama's still alive and she don't know Jesus, I want you to share the gospel with your mama today. Will you share the gospel? What really matters? Your mom could get, care less about a card that you're gonna give her, about a gift card or a flower or a whatever. She could care less about that. If she knows Jesus, she wants you to know Jesus. If she doesn't know Jesus, you can give her a flower. It's going to fade and wilt. You can buy her something wooden. It's going to rot. Buy her something metal. It's going to rust. Share with her something that doesn't, that doesn't fade, rust, or rot. Share with her something that so you can one day be like me in the fact that my mom is dead because your mom, if she's alive, will die one day, and you can be like me in the fact that my mom is dead, and it breaks my heart today because today's my first Mother's Day without her. But here's what I know. I'll spend all of eternity with her. All of eternity. Praise God. So I can, I can deal with today. I can deal with today. I can miss a few Mother's Days to spend every day with my mother. Right? 
Share the gospel with your mama. Share the gospel with your kids. Moms, would you stand up again right now? Everybody, in the, all the moms in the room. We wanna pray for you. Thank you for fighting the fight, moms. Everything I've been preaching today, man, some of you moms have been fighting this fight. Thank you for fighting the fight. Thank you for identifying the threats and the enemies. Thank you for trusting in God's sovereignty. Thank you for, for fighting and getting involved in the fight and for being obedient when it's hard. Listen, I promise the battle's long, but your rest will be sweet. Father, I thank you for these mamas. Thank you for their example. God, they have an incredibly difficult job. In today's world, it's massive. And God, I pray that they would not underestimate their words. I pray that they would not underestimate the preparation and how they need to prepare their kids. God, I pray that, Lord, I know the battle is raging and it seems like we go from one battle to the next and they get more and more intense. But I pray that they would get glimpses of peace between those battles. God, I pray that they would get glimpses of that rest, that they would see steps. And Lord, we want our children sometimes to be, uh, we, we, we look at where we want them to be, but Lord, we, sometimes we miss the steps that they need to take to get there. And I pray that you would give these mamas encouragement. Thank you that they're involved in church. Thank you that they're rallied around other moms and other people who are soldiers, who will soldier on with them. Lord, when they can't fight Lord, that other moms are fighting with them for their kids. Thank you for that, God. And I pray for them, God. I pray for peace. I pray for joy. I pray for a great day, but not just a great day. God, I pray for a great season. I pray that these moms will be blessed beyond measure. God, in the knowledge that their children know you. I pray that if the mom in here that whose children doesn't know you, that today they would just sit down and say, let me tell you about Jesus. And I pray that if there's moms that don't know Jesus, that the kids at whatever level would say, Mom, I want to give you whatever, but what I want to give you is Jesus. I pray we'd see people come to know you today. I pray that we'd hear stories of moms that come to know Jesus on Mother's Day 2022 because uh, their kids shared the gospel with them. I pray I'd hear moms talk about how their kids come to know Jesus because the mom shared the gospel with them. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you that you are sovereign. God, this world looks crazy, but you're sovereign. There's not an atom floating around. There's not a molecule. There's not a cell in a body. There, there's not a drop of rain falling from heaven right now that you don't have not ordained the coordinates to where it's going to fall. Zero in this world is left to chance, God. Zero. You're in control. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I know that in this crazy world. We love you and praise you and adore you in Jesus' name. Amen.